0: And hello everybody, it's Trish Carr from Women's Prosperity Network. And it is my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of Sister to Sister. Sister to Sister is the place where we discuss everyday experiences of racism with people who may have experienced it in their life in one way or another. You know, I was uh, just telling my guest Yvonne Jones that yesterday I did a press release about the program And you know what it's really about? It's about, you know, so often we have conversation around the high concepts of systemic racism, the concept of white privilege, uh, the concept of white power. And um, we get into these philosophical discussions, but the reality is racism happens every day in people's lives on an individual basis not just the systemic and white privilege and all those other high concepts. So that's the idea of this broadcast is to give us all an opportunity to shine a light on what it's like to walk in a person of color's shoes. Having been socialized white myself and thinking that I'm so expanded and evolved having grown up in New York City, which is you know, lots of people of color. I've been learning so much and I really appreciate my guests. And today I really appreciate Yvonne A. Jones. And Yvonne, thank you so much for being with me today. I really do appreciate it. It's my honor and delight, Trish. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Let me tell you a little bit about Yvonne. We've known each other, Yvonne, probably 10 years now, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. We're in double digits, right? And Yvonne has the uh, distinct advantage of having lived in other places besides the US. And I know she'll talk about that. And it's interesting how your perspective can change when you're in a different country. So um, she has, like I said, a unique perspective. In her business, let me tell you, she was one of our leaders in the West Palm Beach area here in South Florida and was a Women's Prosperity Network uh, chapter president for a few years and she's got quite the following because she's quite an amazing woman. First of all, she's a business coach and a life coach. And she, Huffington Post, you've all heard of Huffington Post. Huffington Post described her as one of the top 100 most social customer service pros to follow on Twitter. She also has been given the distinction on getapp.com as one of the top 15 most influential customer service experts to follow on Twitter. So she is also Alignable. You're all familiar with Alignable, which is a, a social platform. She's Alignable's 2018 Small Business Person of the Year for her city in Stewart, Florida. She specializes in working with service-based, small to mid-sized business entrepreneurs, 50 and wiser is um, the people that she works with. That would be me. And uh, she coaches and consults. She frees them from the barriers that are keeping them from their success while working with them on specific strategies and techniques that are down to earth, that work so that they grow their business their customer service improves, and as a result, their sales and their marketing improves. So Yvonne, I'm so thrilled to have you with me. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Trish. It's good to be with you on a call again one-on-one.
0: Yes, it is, <laughs> it is. It's really good. So let's go ahead and get into it. So one of the things I mentioned at the top was that you've lived in other places. Can you share a little bit about your background? Sure. I am Jamaican, as anyone who knows anything about accents can tell.
1: And um, actually my, you spoke about customer service and my love for customer service and everything that's customer related actually started when I was 16 years old, six weeks after graduating from high school and I walked into the largest commercial bank in Jamaica as an employee in the foreign exchange department. Uh, three months later, some of us were sent on an external customer service training. And while that training, when I got back to work, it transformed me as a person because I was very reserved and found it. I wasn't shy, but I was reserved. And I found it challenging to be always having to be on, on, you know, at the counter with people who would come in to do overseas purchases, foreign exchange purchases. And once I came back to work with a different mindset, this was when I know mindset can be changed for the better. I just found that it, it took me out of myself so that it was now others focused. And there was just so much joy in helping people who came into the bank and you just say simply, good morning, how are you? And they would just light up and it's like, you could see the uncertainty and the com- disappear and the confidence restored. And so that served me well when I moved into another company and I migrated here to the United States as well. And so my love for everything that's customer related, as well as, you know, in my coaching business, I incorporate everything so that we can really take care of the people and help our customers to love us as much
0: as we want to love them. Oh, that's great. Yvonne, you were 16 when you graduated high school and took your first job? Yes, I was. <laughs> so you were, that's, in Jamaica, it's still young, yes?
1: It's still young. I don't know if they do that anymore. But I know I, I even before my examination results, there were those days, The your examination went uh, went to Britain, to England, and then they would send you your results about September or October, something like that. Even before I got my results, I was hired by the bank based on my, my interview
0: and my results during the interview. Wow. That's, it's, you know, it's gotta be interesting to be 16 years old and be working with grown-ups in the bank, especially in the banking yeah. industry, right? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. And at 18, I was a manager secretary. Wow. <laughs> How old were you when you emigrated to the U.S.? Oh no. Uh, I was 35 actually. Oh, you were in your thirties. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you lived a long time in Jamaica and then mm-hmm. moved here. And I moved here. What, uh, what did you experience? What were some of the things you saw when you moved here that were different? Well, you know what, Trish, you said something earlier about
1: racism happens every day. And I know my fellow Jamaicans might not want me to say this, but I tell you, in Jamaica, what we have, what is there, is not so much considered racism as shadeology. Their shadeology and their status. Right. And my first experience, uh, well, let's step back a little. There was a time, and you can talk to any of the older Jamaicans where you wouldn't find someone who was dark skinned in the banks there. They were all light Jamaicans um, or Chinese or so on and so forth. That probably came from uh, the fact that we were a colonial country. Right. We had a British background. So it probably came from there. But one of the first experiences, or the most significant experience that I had in Jamaica was going into a particularly, a very elite store. And um, I was actually in human resources. And I actually went there to purchase, spend a lot of the company's money purchasing gifts for the pensioners. And I walked into this store and there are people there. Nobody said, may I help you? And I walked around, I looked, I walked in first, I said, good morning. I don't remember if anybody answered. I looked around and I thought oh, yeah, that would work well, that would work well. And then I decided, you know what? I'm spending the company's money here and I'm about to walk out. And somebody says, can we help you? You know, that kind of obliging term, I guess I didn't look like I could afford their prices. And I said, oh no, that's fine, thank you. Because got to tell you, the pride is always <laughs> there, Trish, oh, yeah. and I'm not going to be standing for the nonsense, right? So I walked up the road, and I spent the, the company's money there. So that was my experience right in my
0: home country. So let me, let me just, you were talking about, so I've heard the term used colorism, whereas within the Black community, depending on how light-skinned or dark-skinned you are, there's a prejudice or a, uh, uh, you're treated differently. So was this a, in that first shop, was it someone who was light-skinned because I- Oh yeah, because mm-hmm.
1: Jamaica, Jamaica is, uh, the, the motto of Jamaica is out of many one people. And you will meet Jamaicans who look white. Right. We meet Jamaicans who have green eyes, long brown hair, until they open their mouths, you know, they're Jamaican. And you'll have very very dark skin Jamaican because we are we are from African, uh, we're descendants of Africans, many of us, but you're descendants of Spanish, descendants of French, descendants of English. So it's all a mix. And it may still be bad, I don't know, but this was we we're talking about over 30 years 30 ago. 30 years
0: ago. You know, the interesting thing is that with colorism or with shadyism as you called it, right? Shadiology. Shadiology. Um, there, are, people are aspiring to be closer to white, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. do your hair straight to be closer to white. You know, some people even go so far as to bleach their skin to be closer to white. Yes, and there's a reason they do that because they probably believe that they would move ahead in life more quickly, more easily. Is that why you think that happens?
1: I've actually heard that expressed because when I heard about the bleaching of the skin, I was like, what? People are willing to wrap their skin just so that they feel that they can get ahead faster if they're a lighter color. And to me, it's so sad, Trish. It's sad that people have to think that way. It's sad that the environment the, you know, should distort everything so much that people have to resort to that to feel that this is the only way I can reach out if I'm lighter. That is extremely sad
0: in my view. Absolutely, it's another form of racism. <laughs> but you mm-hmm. know, people point the finger and say, well, black people among themselves have racism, right? Lighter skin, dark skin, but that racism, if you will, that prejudice, if you will, is born of wanting to be part of the privilege that white people experience. So the racism still comes from being, not being white.
1: Mm-hmm. That might be, that may be one, that is, that is one way of looking at it, but I don't think the people who are in the moment are looking at it that way.
0: No, but if you go and you think about where it comes from and what it stems from and where it started, it started from wanting to be, you know, it, it happened in slavery. The lighter skinned slaves got the, the house jobs, right? The house gal was a light skinned gal, right? Mm-hmm. So it all—it's all systemic. If you go back and look at where all of these things were born of, so it's just mm-hmm. interesting to me. It's- yeah,
1: and it's also a mentality yeah, because as you talk about that, even back in again um, in Jamaica, you had. A lot of, maybe say in the 60s or even earlier, maybe even later, to be quite honest with you, where mothers wanted their sons to bring home the brown skin girl and brown didn't, wasn't my shade. Brown skin was a lighter shade. That's what they call brown skin in America. Uh, It's a lighter shade and it didn't, you know, didn't matter if the person was extremely intelligent. I can tell you one of the high schools that I attended in Jamaica, I won't call the name now, one of my, the, the boarding school in December before we went on break, they were what they called, I think they called it Old Girls Day, the time those days they've changed the name now. Former, former, uh, and most of the women who came back were all lighter color because I know the history of this school. I know the history of the first man who was a black man, he I think believed he was a doctor, who, whose daughter was accepted there. Again, it's rooted in colonialism, right. but then my first experience when I came in, my children didn't know anything about this. I can remember when my oldest daughter came, um, we're fortunate they went to a prep school and she came home one day and she said, oh, mommy, she was about maybe six or seven. She says, mommy, a pink boy came to school today. I said, pink boy? A pink boy? She said, yeah, he's pink. And what you, you described him and I said, Oh, to myself, oh, he's white. And then and I, went to, I went to the school and I saw him. But to her, she didn't know the distinction between black and white. Right. We never talked about anything like that. Because in our faith, we mix. There's black and white. And it was just a natural thing for her to be around people who are light-skinned, you know, anything like that. But this pink boy came to school. <laughs> so when we came here, um, shortly after we came, we were down in Fort Lauderdale. And we were in Davie in the ministry one Saturday and I remember this truck, this um truck passed with some big wheels and some guys were in the back and they shouted, you know, niggas, you know, and I said my children were like, my daughters were like, mommy, what's that? What did he mean by that? And I thought, thank God for your innocence. But I also had to tell them what that meant. Because there's no point in covering it up and saying, oh, it's too young. No, they need to know, they need to be aware of what's going on in the world so that they can be prepared. And I had to quietly hear that and I quietly explain what what that word meant.
0: Yeah, well, and that's gotta be a shock for them to think all of a sudden they're so different and demeaned just because of the color of their skin where they came up in a place where everybody was the same color of their skin
1: they may not have been the same color of their skin but they didn't see this being different because it was just very natural to them gotcha. and even coming here our congregation was made of black oh, made up of black and white and we're all treated the same um, you know on so you know to be called like that to be called out like that it was a little shocker but then right. they needed to be prepared because they were going to quite likely experience it more than once in their lifetime
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, there's what goes on beyond that and the conversations that you have to have, like I was uh, sharing before we got started about Leslie, when I did an interview with Leslie Warren, she shared now about her adult son who lives out of state, and he said he was going to be taking up jogging in his neighborhood and how the fear of God went through her because Ahmad Aubrey was just murdered two months prior to that for jogging in his neighborhood, so there's those conversations that you have to have as well. So tell me a little bit about what they've, ex- what you've experienced since then, since because you've been here, uh, you know, 20 years now. <laughs> I've been here all,
1: 30 years. <laughs> wow, long time.
0: Um, So, you know, it's funny you
1: mentioned about Leslie and her son, and that took me, reminded me of something that someone shared. Um, In fact, she actually shared this in a group on Facebook, but I know her personally because she's also a coach and we did a retreat together. And it made me so sad when I read of what she said. They were, her 16 year old son was in the car with her and they were stopped. She still didn't know why they were stopped because the police asked for her driver's license. Someone suggested in the group that sometimes a car is reported stolen. So if they see some, you know, the police, the troopers see a car that looks like it, they'll stop you because she said they didn't give, any reason, give her any reason. But what hit her was that from the moment they stopped, her son sat like this, with his hands in front in his lap. She's 16 years old black young man uh, his hands were in his lap with his palms up and as long as the police officer was there where was he anyway decided he was on the other side talking to her he just kept his head straight ahead with his hands exposed not didn't move a flinch And, you know, she expressed how it tore at her heart, knowing the reason why he did that. He didn't want to make any move that could be misconstrued as threatening. And who knows? We have seen so many incidents since that of, you know, what has happened in situations like that. So when I read of those and I hear them, it's so sad that people have to live, young men in this country, young black men have to live like this. There is a constant fear that if I make a sudden move, or if I move do something it's gonna be considered threatening, and before I'm even asked or said anything, then, you know, something serious happens. But from my personal experience, Trish, I'll be honest with you. I don't know why. Yeah, there have been some subtle things I've seen over the years, but I can remember in my last job, the job that where I felt propelled to leave earlier than I had planned to leave, because I was setting myself up to own to start my own business, but I wasn't quite ready. You know where you should have X amount of money and know how your bills are going. I wasn't quite ready. But there were three women of color in that job. Just a job that was. It was that kind of nationwide company, but there was this office in Stewart, Florida. And when a new management took over, everything changed. There are three of us, this woman of color. For some reason, I was not either overtly or covertly as far as I can tell, targeted yet. And it's interesting, somebody said to me, maybe it's the yet. And you you didn't want to wait until it came your, your turn. But what I saw, the ages and the, the the racial prejudice that I saw extended to those two women, it was heartbreaking. It was so blatant. And the only thing I can and I you know maybe deep down I was wondering when would it be my turn. But for that up to that time I. I didn't see it on me, but I saw it every day. I witnessed it and it was painful to watch. It got to the point where I didn't want to go into work. And the only thing I can remember is the controller said to me one day, where did you learn to speak like that? I said, I beg your pardon. And my English came, my English English came out. I said, I beg your pardon. And he said, where did you learn to speak like that? There's no questions. Man is a racist. I answered him. Answered him very abruptly and left his office, but I answered him. But that was the only thing I can pinpoint to, but not what I saw
0: they were doing to these two women, one of whom eventually sued them and won. Oh, wow. Yes. Well, that, you know, that, where did you speak to uh, where did you learn to speak like that? He was giving you what he would consider a compliment because you're uh-huh. so well-spoken. Yeah, and but it wasn't. The greatest, most common microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Is like, oh, you're so well-spoken. Oh, you're articulate. It's sort of like you're Black. Why can you speak like that? Exactly.
1: You're, you're speaking too White. So For somebody who is Black, you're speaking too White.
0: That's the interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this, uh, why do you think that you didn't have that same overt racism? Anything you can think of? Is it because you were older and they respected you? Could it be because you were so well-spoken? I have or no idea, Trish. We're about the
1: same age because the other yeah. person was, was actually six months older than her.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were both, well, one was American and the other one was not. She had lived, I think she was Jamaican, and lived in England for many years before coming to the US. But I don't know. There was, I think there was a little bit of. I always stood up for myself and I did it respectfully. So people tended to think twice before they tried to walk over me. So they had to do it in subtle ways because I would speak up. And for this person, I had no problem. He was a controller. I had no problem knocking on the door and letting your other sense of, I don't appreciate this. So I think he kind of, you know, kind of step back a little bit because he felt he couldn't walk over me, but it would happen, it probably would have happened eventually in another way.
0: Yeah, well, you know, but they
1: found those big, those found those women things to pick on, pick on, pick on, and it, it, it was horrible to
0: watch. Yeah, you know, it's um, we're all different, and even if you go back to you know, um, the Me Too movement, some women said i don't care i'm going to speak up i'm not fr- if i lose my job i lose my job same thing with in corporate america i saw in corporate america women being treated and and people of color being treated the way i wouldn't want them to be treated mm-hmm. um, but you know we're all different you luckily had the the gumption the guts to speak up for yourself and so many don't and it's because you're not in power. You know, when someone in power treats you in a way that isn't right, some of us are afraid to speak up. Some of us are afraid to speak our truth because, you know, there's economic outcomes. I'll, get, I'll lose my job. I'll not get promoted. So it's a, it's a terrible weave. You know, I'm, I'm happy that you are one who speaks up But what do you say to people who who just eschew the fact that there is white privilege, that just because you're white, there is privilege. Just like, don't get mad at me, everybody, but there's male privilege. Because you're a man, you're just, it's easier for you. Now, I'm not saying you didn't work really hard. Same thing with, you know, white privilege. All it means is you could have worked three jobs. You could have been you know, had a tough life. It's just that your color makes it even harder. So what do you say to people? What do you say for us as a country as a as a culture as a people? What do you suggest is a way forward from where we are right now?
1: my answer trish is going to be probably different from a lot of the people you interview because i'm not going to be on any political thing any political side and my perspective also probably comes from the fact that i believe that you know these These discrepancies, these things will happen because of human selfishness. It's human selfishness and not putting God first. Because if you're putting God first, you don't believe that you are superior to anyone else. Whether it's the same color, whether you have more money, whether whatever your position, your status brings you. And for me, I see everybody, I will respect you whether you are black, white, purple, or whatever you are. But uh, my view is that I'm not gonna let you walk over me because, and I don't think most people want anybody to walk over them, Mm -hmm. but there are some individuals who are more rebellious about it. I'm not going to be, I would rather acknowledge the fact that it is going to happen because of human selfishness and only God's kingdom can bring about a better condition, Trish. That's my whole belief. So I either have to live with whatever I can and hope that the hearts of humans will come to appreciate that, you know what, we are one. We are sisters. We are brothers. We are from the first two people. So, you may be a, your color means no different, makes you no different. You have red blood, I have red blood. And we're the same under the skin.
0: Amen to that, my sister. Amen to that. Let me mention that uh, there's a book that I recently read that my sister Susan gave me, and it's called The Third Option. And it was written by Reverend McPherson, and he is a reverend in Lakewood Church. And that is exactly what the book is about. So if you're a person of faith, trying to make sense of all of this, this book, the third option is a great option for you to look through. Even, you know, audiobook, read it, however you wanna do it. But I think the more that we can educate ourselves with outside um, influences, people who see things differently than we do so, a, a Person of Faith, uh, The Third Option is an excellent book. Yvonne, I really. Trish, yeah. sorry.
1: And I no. just, uh, you mentioned that I just want to mention for me, one, one scripture is in Acts that in every nation, that God is not partial. In every nation, the person who wants to serve Him, He views them as being equal.
0: So, why shouldn't we? Agreed, my friend. Agreed. Thank you, Yvonne Jones. I so appreciate you being here, sharing your perspective and for standing up and speaking up because that's what makes a difference. Standing in your power, in your humanness and um, appreciate you being here. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me, Trish.
0: My pleasure. I know. And thank you all for being with us today. And we're here every Tuesday for another episode of Sister to Sister. Thank you again, appreciate all of you. Trish Carr, Women's Prosperity Network. We'll see you again next week.